Welcome to uh, Sierra Bible Church. Let's give these guys a hand. The, yo- the, young- the youngsters. Uh, kind of a neat deal, actually. Um, Ryan uh, came to me this week and, and uh, asked, what does it take to, to get into full-time ministry and, and how can I you know, move forward in that? And so you got a young guy here whose desire is to possibly move into full-time ministry, so I think that's pretty neat. And... Um, and so we're, we're looking at uh, maybe trying to partner with a couple things. He wants to do worship and stuff and how we can, um, how we can uh, help him move that along and, and to make sure uh, that he really, really wants to do this job. So um, there's some days I will probably just want to hand it to him maybe. So Hey, uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning, raise your hand and one of the ushers will gladly hand you a Bible and I'll introduce myself if I didn't get a chance to say hi to you as you're walking up. Uh, my name is Jesse, and I'm one of the pastors here. So welcome. If you're a visitor, we're really glad you were here, and uh, we're thankful that you're here. And, um, you know, we're in a really unique place as a church in that um, we have been just blessed with some amazing Bible teachers and, and leaders in our church. In fact, I, I spent um, Friday and Saturday... Uh, both days uh, and an evening with our our elders uh, who help lead our church and shepherd our church and just spent the weekend with them. We actually uh, we went down to do some team building and we did one of those puzzle rooms. They, they, I don't know if you've ever uh, heard of them or done them, but you you get locked in a, a room and you got to find clues and it's got a theme and you got to get out. And we didn't get out, so um, <laughs> apparently we can read our Bibles, but we can't save ourselves from <laughs> physical danger. Um, so anyways, it was really good though. And, uh, we were talking at our group and, you know, we've, we have, um, so many just solid dudes who know how to teach the Bible. They're, uh, Brad Knoll can teach and, um, uh, Brad Beers is a tremendous teacher. You all know Wayne, uh, can teach. And then Dave Pastrell, who's come over, uh, is part of our church now. If you haven't met him, wonderful teacher, Andrew Holbrook, wonderful teacher, uh, and uh, man, we just just got a solid group of dudes who know how to teach the Bible. And then in addition to that, um, I shared with the group, it's not just the guys, we've just got some tremendous gals who can teach the word as well. Rebecca Schroeder is a great teacher. Laura Osnes is a great teacher. My wife is really good. I might be a little favoritistic toward her. Uh, she's a great teacher. And, um, and we've just, we're discussing as a group of elders that it's apparent that God wants to continue to equip our church to reach more people and to teach them what it means to follow Jesus and, and make disciples. And so I just, I just kind of wanted to um, highlight some of those leaders for you. Some of you maybe haven't had a chance to meet them, uh, but Brad Franklin uh, is in the back right here standing up there. You saw him earlier. Brad um, uh, does finances and other things here. This is uh, Wayne uh, Hoig. Some of you might know who he is. Um, and then uh, Brad Beers, would you stand? He's one of our elders, such an amazing teacher. Um, and then don't clap for him. And um, I'm just kidding. And then um, uh, I'm trying to make sure I don't miss it. This is Brad Knoll. You guys all know Brad. He's, he's, he can be hard to miss sometimes, but that's Brad. Uh, and then Andrew Holbrook, uh, who's led our men's group for many years, tremendous teacher, full of knowledge and wisdom. And, and then, uh, and then even, we even have a few guys who uh, who sat on the elder board, who are great teachers too. Travis uh, Shafarzik is in the back corner back there hiding. Apparently he doesn't want to help anybody today, so he's, he's in the corner. And then, um, and, and then uh, Doug Brown, who's not, uh, who was here in the first service. Um, who else was in the first service today, uh, elder-wise? 
Uh, uh, Russ, uh, Russ Grant, um, he's finishing up his internship. He'll be put in as a, an intern here shortly. And then, of course, we want to forget our great deacons who help on the service side of things. Um, Jamie's here uh, in the back, so people can see who Jamie is. You just raise your hand. Yeah, cool. And then, um, do I have any other deacons in the room? I know I do. I feel like I do. Ryan Benty, stand up. Come on. Don't be ashamed of your heights. Great guy. And um, I'm going to... I'm going to use, well, he's better looking than you, and um, so anyways, all of these guys, one of the reasons I mention that is that, you know, our church right now is in a really, a pretty healthy spot, and we're thankful for it, but just because we're healthy doesn't mean God doesn't have more for us, and I can't do ministry alone. These guys are a tremendous team and a blessing, and they're a great resource for you as well. Uh, to go to and to ask for counsel and stuff like that. There's some things in the message this morning you might have questions about, and they would be a tremendous resource uh, for you. Um, save my save my email box from stuff. So, um, and uh, yeah, that's it on that side. So give them a hand, please. Honor them and and uh, <clears throat> a couple of those gal teachers were um, uh, in the first service, and they stood up, and then. Uh, Laura is uh, in the back with her baby, so she can't stand up right now. James chapter 2. If you would honor the word of God, if, if you are able to this, uh, this morning to stand while we read scripture together. James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This morning, Lord, we ask you to teach us, to mold us, and to shape us. To challenge us, for those of you, for those of us, Lord, who are are Christians, that, that we would understand this book has been written for our growth. For those of us who are here who don't know you, that we would find out what this is all about. That we would find you, a true living God who cares for us in spite of our sins and our failures, a God that we cannot obtain through good works, but a God who gives graciously to all. Please teach us this morning in Jesus' name. The church said. Amen. You may be seated. I found it helpful each week to just kind of track 
where we've been as we have been in this book for a few weeks now. James, if you recall, is a book that is primarily written to those who have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Those who understand that God came as the great Emmanuel, God with us, in human form. He humbled himself into the form of a baby, humbled himself on the death of a cross, humbled himself in serving his disciples' feet to show that salvation is through humility. Salvation is through grace and grace alone. As Christians, we recognize that. And so James, knowing that, who once was a non-believer, he was, if you remember, the half-brother of Jesus, did not believe, shocking, I'm sure, that his older brother was not God. And yet he was. James does not come to that place of belief until the resurrection, after Jesus has come back from the dead. Upon the resurrection, James becomes a strong believer, a pillar in the church. He writes this book to the church for our sanctification. It is for our growth. It is a book that if you were a non-Christian, is probably incredibly hard to understand, but if you are a Christian, it does not make it an easy book to read. It challenges us. It rubs us the wrong way a little bit, as it should, to mold us and to form us and to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. Notice the love that James writes with. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My brothers, that's 15 times in the book. James refers to the church as his brothers or his brethren, all to basically just share he loves who he is writing to. After first service, I have to probably do a better job just making the distinction as I share with you this week. I'm sharing from a place of love, a place of truly caring about our community, not just the Christian community as a whole and the other churches that are in Truckee, California, but for the community as a whole, Glenshire, Tahoe Donner, the lake. But I specifically care more for you. I love you deeply. You're part of our family. And the commandment within chapter 2 that James gives us, the language that he uses is do not be partial. The word partial literally means to lift up one's head, to pay attention to a particular person over another particular person. Specifically in the illustration that's given, it's the rich man over the poor man. And and what he's saying here is this, this idea of not being partial literally means to not play personal favorites, to not have favorites. I think all of us, to one degree or another, have partiality. The commandment for the Christian is to not be partial. One commentator writes that this pertains specifically to judging a person purely on a superficial level, without consideration of a person's true merits, abilities, or character. The illustration that is presented to us is no different than what happens on a Sunday. The assembly that James speaks of in the passage would be the assembly of the church, what we're doing right now. We are gathering together in worship. And so we're clear when we gather together to worship, worship is not just singing. You are worshiping by hearing the preaching of God's word. You are worshiping when you take notes. You are worshiping in fellowship. You're even worshiping when you're drinking a cup of coffee. As one of our elders said this week, Brad Beers, all of what we do is spiritual. None of it is just physical. Everything we do pertains somehow to our relationship with God. 
Now let's paint the picture for what's happening in James' day within the assembly. In that day, it is said that up to 60% of the population were slaves. Slavery in James' day was different than our day. We tend to think of slavery in regards to what happened with our brothers and sisters that were pulled from Africa and other places. In James's day, that wasn't such the case. You would become my slave in James's day. If you asked for money and you couldn't repay me, you would become my slave until that was paid back. In fact, what he's saying here when he says, it's not the rich man that drags you into the court. It was the Roman custom that if you, if you didn't pay a person, they had the right to grab you by the collar, drag you into court, and then make you their slave. So you had a portion, a large portion of the society, a large portion of people who were becoming Christians, who were slaves. Do you know who else was also getting saved? Rich people too. It wasn't just the poor, it was the rich. They were all getting saved. And what was happening in the church is all of a sudden, all of a sudden they were hearing, you should no longer have this man as your Have you ever read Philemon? It's a story of basically, hey, let the slave go. And now what was happening in the church is, is I'd be sitting in church and I'd be worshiping Jesus. And as a slave, I was now being taught that I was not less than my master. And the master was now being taught, you're not better than your slave. And even in some cases, the owner would come into the assembly to find out that their slave was now the pastor. So now in this picture, imagine the, the, the interaction. The, in our day, it would be the ushers are standing out front, and they're watching all of you come in. And, and as they're coming in, they're paying attention to what you wear. They're looking at how you dress. And because you're dressed a particular way, you receive a little bit more favor. If you're not dressed a particular way, you don't receive as much favor. To the degree that, that see, in, in that day, a wealthy man would wear many rings to let people know he was wealthy. And he would come up, and, and what was happening, obviously, in James's day, it must have happened or he wouldn't have shared it. They were saying, this guy has money. You sit in a good seat. And, and someone else would come up. They wouldn't even pay attention to them. I heard one pastor this morning as I was listening to a, a sermon in the shower just to kind of prepare for the day, and, and he was sharing how in his church, a large church in Southern California, influential church in Southern California, he said he was contacted by a, a politician, a well-known politician. And they had contacted him to say, listen, I'm going to come to your church on this particular Sunday, and, um, and so uh, we, w we want you to know this. We, we need some security and what have you, but we need you to reserve a special seat for him up front. Could you please reserve for him that seat? And I love the pastor's response. He said, we don't save seats in our church. If he wants a good seat, tell him to show up early. In fact, even this morning, I had a beloved sister whom I respect, who is part of our church, share with me about a particular Christian man that is running for town council, and it was asked of me this morning if I would share with you who this man was, if I would give, throw my hat in the ring, if you will, and say, you should vote for this man, in which I humbly and, and, and respectfully let her know I, I, I won't do that. And she had asked why, and I said, because I only promote one man. 
There is only one man that I promote from this, as Wayne has called it, sacred desk. I promote Jesus. You should find out who the Christian man is. <laughs> but I am not going to support him from this pulpit because the only one I'm concerned with supporting and rising up and voting for is Jesus Christ. The reality of what is happening within this text is James is saying you're giving special honor to particular people. Not just because of what they wear, though that is the example given, it is also for other reasons, political or otherwise, wealthy or otherwise, dress or otherwise, race or otherwise. Now, this does not mean the Bible does not call us to give special honor and respect to particular people, does it? This doesn't mean we just treat everybody the same because, well, there's no favoritism. That isn't the complete reality within the text of the Bible. The Bible teaches we are to honor our parents with a particular special kind of honor. The Bible teaches that we are to treat those who are older than us in the faith with a particular kind of honor. We are to respect our pastors, especially those who teach and preach. The Bible teaches that, not me, so it's not a personal support for myself. It also says to respect all, all authority over you. All authority over you. I challenge you this morning when we think of that authority, when you read and look at your Facebook post, how honorable towards leadership have you been? Because the reality is, is, as Christians, we are not to be known what we are against as much as we are to be known for what we are for. We should be celebrating what marriage is. We should be celebrating what grace is. We should be celebrating what loving is and what it means to love our neighbor, not constantly being negative about all of the things that are ugly in society. We get it. Society is ugly. But does the world know how gracious and awesome that God is? How full of blessing that God is? Is that wrapped around our mind? Are we known for that? And James is saying this plays out on a Sunday. Now let's be clear. Wearing many gold rings is not a sin. Neither is it to wear ripped jeans. The issue is not what you wear. The issue is how you treat the person wearing it. Maybe you've noticed my t-shirt this morning. Several of you have, as did the first service. And I wore it purposefully this morning. If you haven't noticed, what is on it is superheroes. This is Captain America. That's Iron Man. As my, my, my baby says, Captain America. Captain America. Iron Man and... The Hulk, someone thought it was the beast, but it's not, it's the Hulk, Thor. And I wore it not only to get comments, in fact, it was funny because someone after the service said to me, before service, I saw you in that shirt, and I had no idea what you were sharing this morning, and I thought to myself, Jesse's wearing that shirt because someone gave it to him. (laughs) As a way to say thank you. Now, in all transparency, it was a gift. But it is a gift that I joyfully receive and wear on a Sunday to challenge that when someone walks into the room and someone might say, you can't wear Marvel stuff at the pulpit. Spider-Man's got nothing to do with Jesus. I get it. I get it. I understand, but at the same time, the church is not to be looking at how we dress. We're to be looking inside of the heart. I used, as I have in the past, and I kind of apologize for it, but he's just a great example. A Jim Matthias. 
He was here in the first service. Some of you know Jim, some of you don't. Jim is tall. He has a very large beard down to here. On Sundays, he works most of the time. And when he works, he wears shabby clothing. He works almost every day, so he usually wears shabby clothing. It's what he wears. I've even been to the soup kitchen with him before, and entering into the soup kitchen, other homeless men have asked him, where are you staying? (laughs) The last time we were there, which was a couple weeks ago, he said in Glenshire, because that's where he lives. And the homeless guy said, well, that's a long bus ride. (laughs) I shared about Jim and his clothing one Sunday. Some of you know this. and, And after the service, someone walked up to Jim, handed him 20 bucks to buy more new clothing. One Sunday, I asked Jim to serve communion. Jim's response, I can't, I'm not dressed for it. The reality is, is Jim and his shabby clothing is more equipped and more called to serve God's bread and wine than the man in the three-piece suit who's been embezzling money all week at his business. See, let's be honest. All of us are partial. You think, well, I'm not partial. We all have ways that we play personal favorites. It plays out in our Christianity. It plays out in in some of the things that we do. When you throw a party, who do you invite? You know what's been really amazing amazing is is, uh, just from studying how people are. Where did you sit last week? Where did you sit last year? It's kind of my spot, you know? And we're just, natu- we're just natural. Even if you go to the same, if you go to a restaurant and you sit yourself, you usually sit the same kind of place. What's that? We had you. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You bought that chair. I got it. I remember, I remember that. Yeah. Well, there goes my argument right out the door. (laughs) So the other day, Ryan Benty, one of our deacons, had a birthday, and so did his wife, Katie. They have their birthdays around the same time. I got an invitation to their party. I didn't look at the invitation online to see who was invited. I just kind of assumed that by way of them being part of our church and our community, that most likely, like many of our Christian parties, it would be some of the same Christian brothers and sisters that I typically see at such parties. To my delight, that was not true. In fact, the only Christians that were there were Ryan and Katie, myself, and the Finches. Everyone else at that party, 60-plus people, they don't go to church. And I thought, I get it. Not only that, to my delight, Katie and Ryan are over there talking about, this is our pastor. We go to church. They're driving home the reality. We are Christians. This is our, this is our pastor. He's the coolest pastor. He's the best pastor. <laughs> I mean, just, and, I, and so I got to meet some of these people who are in our community, who work in our community, who don't know Jesus. And what they did not do was say, you know what? At our party, I'm going to invite the same people. All I'm saying is, to a certain degree, What James is teaching us is to have a heart for everybody 
and to be careful that we don't fall into the sin of being partial. Verse 4 and verse 9 says that this is evil. In fact, James, in three different occasions, he uses the word evil. And in the original language, the most radical usage is in this passage. When you judge by the exterior and when you favor by, by certain, in certain ways, you are committing a great evil. This plays out every single Sunday in who you interact with and who you choose not to interact with. See, to be partial is to sin. He says it's actually breaking the royal law, the law of liberty, real freedom. But to be impartial is a great gracious thing. One commentator says, a merely religious person who believes God will favor him because of his morality and respectability will ordinarily have contempt for the outcast. I worked hard to get where I am, and so can anyone else. That is the language of the moralist heart. I am only where I am by the sheer and unmerited mercy of God. I am completely equal with all other people. That is the language of the Christian's heart. A sensitive social conscience and a life poured out in deeds of mercy to the needy is the inevitable sign of a person who has grasped the doctrines of grace. By way of illustration, and to just push into your heart to challenge you, we had a situation a couple weeks ago. Laura, a great teacher, Zach, a man who loves Jesus and their two children, their house was struck by lightning and they've been put out of their home. They basically, by God's grace, they were on vacation. So by God's grace, they have suitcases filled with clothing that does not smell or has not been utterly destroyed by smoke. Literally, all that has really been salvageable from that home is what was in their suitcases that was not in that home. They've been put out of their home anywhere now from three to six months with two very young children. Now, I don't know if you know this about Lake Tahoe. Not all of our homes are filled all of the time. Have you noticed? I don't know if anyone lives in Tahoe Donner, but some of those homes... People aren't in them all the time. And you would think, in a community like ours, with the kind of money that exists within this community, that they would have had too many people to talk to. Too many people coming and saying, I'll give you my home for three to six months. I'll let you stay at my place. You, you would think that, but that has not been the reality. In part... Because if we're honest, those homes that we have, those possessions that we have, they're, 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 well, they're kind of important to us. We need to have these things. See, see the reason I'm mentioning this is because there are, in, in us, we have distinctions. If, if I say to you, would you please put up a family with two young children? Some of you would, some of you would say yes. Some of you would say no because there's two kids. But if I said I've got a wealthy man who needs a place to stay for two nights, many of us would just jump on the opportunity. Michael Jordan's looking for a place to stay tonight, guys. Anybody want to put him up? One author says, human beings, even Christians, are naturally inclined to be impartial. I'm sorry, inclined to be partial. 
We tend to put people in pigeonholes and predetermined stratified categories, ranking them by their looks, <clears throat> excuse me, their clothing, their race, their ethnicity, their social status, their personality, their intelligence, their wealth and power, by the kind of car they drive and by the type of house and neighborhood they live in. It is natural for us to just go in that direction and say, you know what, I'll put someone up in my home, but they have to fit a predetermined category, and if that's the case, okay. Now, we have to understand something about God. God is not partial. He doesn't play favorites, guys. We talked about this a few weeks ago. When we talked about God's, God's common grace or ordinary grace. That all of us, whether you're evil or whether you're saved, you get to still enjoy the beautiful mountain view outside. That's God's grace to all. There's no favorites. The only time, the only time there's favoritism from God is when he applies his salvation to you, and now you are a child of God. But even then, there is an impartiality that God has amongst all of his creation. Now, likewise, in the church, there should not be a partiality towards anyone in the church. This is the only place in the world that pulls the rich, the poor, the black, and the white into one room, and God says, you are the same. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you bear the image of God? First of all, there's something in that just for some of you this morning. You have been made in the image of God. Wow. There are some in the room that don't get that. They don't understand their identity. They are important. They are valuable. And they are beautiful in God's eyes. Do you believe the illegal alien is made in the image of God. We'll just let it linger. Well, I do. But, whoa. Let me just shoot the butt. Let's get rid of that. They're made in the image of God. Yes? If they're made in the image of God, what kind of respect, what kind of honor do we give them? Well, we got to make sure they get their green. We got to make sure they're okay, okay, okay. Don't treat them differently because if especially if they're Christian. Because if they're Christian, you know who doesn't care about their green card? Jesus. Because God is moment he becomes a Christian, what does Jesus say about his nationality? What does he say about his nationality? You are no longer a Jew. You are no longer a Gentile. You are no longer worried about female or male. You're no longer worried about social status. You are part of a new kingdom with a new king. This is why in our partiality, we have to be careful in our judgment. Our judgment in regards to, to you know, one of the things we're dealing with within, within the denomination we're part of is what do we do? What do we do? And I'm not saying I have all the answers politically and all of that, but what do you do with a pastor who has come over here from Mexico, became a Christian, felt called to the ministry, started a little Bible study in some little church like ours, 
50 other Hispanics got saved. And all of a sudden, what do we do with that? I'm not saying I have the answers, but I am saying it should challenge you. There should be something there that makes you go, what do I do with that? What's right? What's right not, not just from the political standpoint of America, what's right for the kingdom of God? And what does Jesus care about? There's this passage uh, that I absolutely love in part because I, I think I've, I've fallen in, into this at times um, where someone comes to Jesus and they say, we know you're a good teacher. We know that you're true. And we know that you don't actually care what anyone thinks. <laughs> you're no respecters of persons, it says. See, the issue in this is who do you respect more? Do you, do, do you respect your own, your own kind of box of how you see things and your own preferences and, and your own vulnerabilities and you, you're protecting those things and you're worried about those things? Or are you really actually, as a Christian, worried about the salvation of souls and what God is concerned with? This, this is a hard passage to preach. And as I shared with the, the, the first service, I said, man, this is, this is a message that if I'm honest with you, I might lose some money here. The church might lose a few bucks, but I'm, I'm willing to lose a few bucks to gain a few hearts. And the church that understands this, you know what happens in churches that understand this kind of stuff and practice it and don't show partiality? They grow. They grow. I, I have had the opportunity now to preach and be a part of a lot of different churches over the last year. It has been a great thing to be a part of of. I sit on a board that oversees 100 different churches. I spoke at a men's retreat for three different churches. And one thing I've seen true over this last year, the churches that are dying and struggling are the churches who are respecters of people, respecters of men's traditions, and they don't actually honor the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes the church has to lose the stuffy people who are filled with judgment and partiality so that the poor in spirit can come to church. The broken in spirit can come to church. The reality of this is, is first of all, James, James is telling us not to show partiality. One of the ways that plays out is how you actually treat the poor. Listen to some passages from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Chapter 15 and 16 of Deuteronomy, chapter 19 of Leviticus. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers in whom is one of your towns, And in the land which the Lord has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother. But you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart, saying the seventh year, the year of remission is near and your eye is hostile towards your poor brother. So the Jews had a practice. You would enter into debt with somebody. And every seven years, the debt would be forgiven. Sound like good news? They call that the year of Jubilee. Anyone have debt this this morning? You'd be looking forward to the seventh year. But in God's kingdom, he says, says, okay, listen, don't do this now. You know that this year of remission is coming. The year of Jubilee is near. And it says that you know that is coming. And he he says, don't hold back 
knowing that the seventh year is coming. So essentially, I come to you and say, I'm in need. Brad, I need a place to stay. And Brad says, sure, but I can't do it for free. I've got to have some kind of compensation, so you need to pay me. And so I enter into debt with him in the sixth year. But then Brad goes, wait a minute, I can't do that. It's the sixth year. And if, I, if, if, if you stay with me a year, then I'm going to have to forgive your debt. So uh, come to me after the year of Jubilee. He's saying this was a common practice, taking advantage of the grace. And then he goes on and he says, he says this, he says, then if this is the case, your eye is hostile towards your brother and you give him nothing, then he, the person who owes you or the person who's asking for help, that that person, the poor person may cry to the Lord against you and it will be a sin in you and you, and you shall generously give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give it to him. <laughs> Do you hear that? He says, you got to help your brother and you got to be happy about it. Because for this thing, the Lord, the Lord your God will bless you if you do it. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, and to the poor, into the land. You are called to be generous with everything that you have. You, it, first of all, let's be clear. I teach it to my children. Even my children, well, they don't get it, but they know it. What you own is not yours. Church, you own nothing. You have no possessions. All of them belong to Jesus. They're his. So the next question that we have to ask our church is how generous are you with what you currently own and possess? Where we have our home group, the Simpsons, they posted a picture one Thursday because they're just blessed. Their driveway full. They got a four-wide car driveway. Is it four? Where are you guys? Four? It's the biggest driveway here in Truckee. It's bigger than the Safeway parking lot. It's amazing. <laughs> four wide, two deep. Every Thursday, that whole thing is filled up as we gather together and share in their home, and we talk about Jesus, and we try to do community together. One thing they did, they bought they bought a brand new couch. Do you know why they bought a brand new couch? So we could do community group. It wasn't because, well, we need our living room to be theater-esque. We need to get comfortable, and we need to enjoy our possessions. What good are your possessions if you don't share them? See, if you, if you notice, part of what makes this ability able, listen, 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 my beloved brothers, verse 5, chapter 2, I really... I should have done a better job in the first service making sure the text speaks for itself because I rambled, which is kind of my habit. But listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen who? Poor. So we're clear. It's not, I'm, God is not ragging on the rich. Some of you are in the room and you're rich. Okay, let me say that a different way. You're in the room. You're in America. You're rich. Some of you are just uber rich. If you're in the United States, chances are you're richer than almost everybody else in the entire world. I heard one pastor say, God must really love poor people because he's created so many. There are a lot of poor people in this world. And James tells us that the way that God chooses, the way he, he chooses who gets saved is by the poorness of your spirit. This is, again, James pulling from, from Matthew in the Sermon of the Mount. Do you remember what he says in Matthew? 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.33. In order to be saved, you have to become poor. The issue is for the rich man who comes into church, and he's actually never seen his spiritual poorness. And because he's never seen his spiritual poorness, he then becomes pretty uh, closed off with his earthly possessions. Do you know what Jesus is saying in essence when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit? Do you, do you know what James is saying when he says, remind yourself of this? What he's saying is, poor Christians make wonderful Christians. And the reality of what's happened with Zach and Laura that has been true, and not only with that example, but many others in the church, is that typically the ones who are the most generous are the ones who are the most poor. That is typical. Jesus says that's even true if you remember the widow's might. Do you remember? He brings his disciples. He's training up his disciples, and he's teaching them because they're going to carry on the ministry. They're going to make this thing grow for the next 2,000 years. They're going to launch this thing. And he holds them back to see that lady. Watch, watch. She puts money in there, and they hear a ding. She puts a little penny, little penny in there. And Jesus says, what she has given is more impactful and greater in the kingdom than anyone who's given 10 grand. There are, I remove myself by and large from all the offerings in the church. So by way of doing that, I have almost no idea how much you give. And I like that. Because then I don't have to ever worry about treating you special because you give more money. It's just kind of a protection for me because I know my heart. Oh, you know, we have needs. Want to go golf? I don't golf. I, I have like no hobbies that rich people like to do. So rich people never invite me to go do any of them. And the, the point is, the point is not, let me, let me be clear here. The point is that there is no problem, no sin with being wealthy. I'm not rebuking you for being wealthy. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, there were wealthy men in the early church. There will always be wealthy men. There will always be poor men. The issue is when you begin to treat people differently because of their wealth or you begin to think of yourself as, as better because of your wealth or if you think somehow in God's kingdom you're more important in the church because you gave ten or fifteen or twenty or $30,000. You're not. Can, can I, as I said in the first service, just kind of climb out on the limb of the tree and just start sawing and just say something that's really true that, that, that some people don't like, but, but it's true. Uh, you, do you know that God doesn't need your money? Did you know Sierra Bible Church doesn't need your money? Oh, man, just keep going, dude. <laughs> he needs your heart. And that's why a message like this is difficult because, yeah, like, the Lord does put on, and it, some of, I have had some beautiful moments where someone's come to me and said, I have this much money, and it's a big chunk of money, and they've said, but I only want to give it to a particular need, and do you have a particular need? And I've shared the need, and either they've, they've given to the need or they haven't, and that is so cool. And one of the last ones that happened, it was a guy in the church that actually they've had to move out of the area, and he came to me. And he said, I've got this chunk of money, and I've been sitting on it for two years. 
And for two years, God's been calling me to give this chunk of money away. And I haven't been faithful to that. So I'm moving. I'm going to go to another church. So he told me. But I want to give the Lord this money for this church, for this particular need. It's a good chunk of money. And I thought, wow, God, you're gracious to us. And now that he's gone, I don't have to ever worry about treating him with more favoritism. <laughs> you got any more money you're holding on to? Okay. <laughs> One thing that God has done, our elders talked about it this week, beautiful thing. When Wayne moved here to Sierra Bible Church, Sierra Bible Church was in debt. It owed money on this building. We didn't have a good name amongst PUD and other companies in Truckee because we weren't paying our bills because we couldn't. And then one day, Wayne, you know, did what everyone thought was wise, and he got kicked back for it. He said, you know what? We're not going to pass a plate anymore. We're just not even going to really talk about giving it all. We're just going to put some boxes in the back and just see what happens. Today, all of these years later, 20-plus years, Sierra Bible Church has zero debt. We pay all of our bills on time, and we are even blessed enough to give money to people who need it in the community at any given moment. You know, right now we have $20,000 sitting in a fund just to give away. Not to build our kingdom, but to have someone come through the door and say, I need help, and to hear it and to hear their heart and say, you're poor in spirit, all right, we're going to help you. And it's not like we're just handing out dollar bills, okay? It's someone saying, listen, I, I came into this situation and and now I can't pay my rent this month, and I'm just letting you know, and we're able to do it. We're able to do that for you. Just That is first century church. In the first century, it, it literally tells us in the first century, everyone sold everything that they had, and then they gave to everyone that was in need, and that there was no need in the church at, as a whole. Do you know when you become a Christian, you come into the family of God, you receive the grace of God, and you enter into this new family where we take care of each other? You have a need this week? We're going to meet your need. I have a need this week. Well, let's meet my need. How beautiful it is to know that if something happens to you and you're part of our family, we're going to do everything that we can to make sure that you're taken care of. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, it doesn't matter. We're going to help fill that need. That that is the gospel that exists in chapter 2. If you are poor in spirit, you come with your hands open saying, I need help. And as I've said before, the only thing that is needed for salvation is to admit that you have need. And this is why Jesus says it's incredibly hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says it's just as hard as a camel trying to fit through the eye of a needle. And he's not saying it's totally impossible, but he's saying it's tough because, because it's easy when you have wealth to look at that as something that's going to protect you and save you. And those of us who, who are poor in the room, we know, man, like money doesn't save. And again, we see this played out. The poorest of us tend to be the first ones to open up the home. Even for Allie and I, we were thinking, okay, Zach and Laura have need. There's six of us in our house. Can we fit four more in there? You know, our septic tank won't handle it. Proverbs 21.13, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor Listen carefully. 
Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Sierra Bible Church should be seen as the most sacrificially generous people in the Truckee Tahoe area. We should be seen as a group of people who don't judge by race, don't judge by appearance, but we just give away. And you know, you know the response? It's, it's in your heart. Some of it's in your hearts. But what if we're taken advantage of? What if someone takes advantage of us? To which I look back and say, what do you think he was thinking? As he hung on the cross for the sins of the entire world? You think he hung there and said, well, I don't know, man. Someone might take advantage of me. He was taken advantage of. He was abused. He was beaten. He was spit upon. He was looked down on. He was seen as a dog. He was seen as worthless, as less than a man. And at no point do you see Jesus standing up for his rights. He just says, grace is grace, I give freely. James is calling for us to remove the parameters to a certain degree. It's not throwing wisdom out the door. It's not saying, well, 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 we just got to start throwing people money and it'll be great. No, it's not throwing wisdom out. But I think as Americans, we have far more boundaries than you're probably willing to admit. That we probably swing on the other side. We're worried about what will happen. Even to the degree it's happened, we put the new carpet next door. Well, make sure that carpet stays in shape for as long as possible. I'm almost like kind of like waiting for someone, don't do this, please, but to run next door and just dump a bunch of coffee all over the place, you know. Okay, well, forget protecting the carpet. Let's just do ministry. There's this line here as I get ready to close in verse 1. My brothers, show no partialities. You hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he's saying, hold that faith in Christ. But then he uses this kind of weird language in verse 1. The Lord of glory. Do you say the Lord of glory? And what James is saying as he then teases the rest of this out is he's saying that really when it comes to serving the poor and not judging and not being partial, God's glory is at stake. We are more glorious to God when we are giving to the poor and we're giving to the needy. And, and this is, to a degree, again, it's not just physical poorness. It's not just, it's also spiritual. It's spiritual poorness. The rich person can come to Jesus Christ in salvation, but they have to become spiritually poor. Jesus says it in Matthew, just to reiterate, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. No poor in spirit, no salvation. You get it? Well, now, now we share that generosity amongst all people. And the way we do this, again, is to look to the cross. It's the gospel. Do you really understand the gospel? And close with this commentary here. Like his father, speaking of Jesus, he showed no favoritism. 
a virtue even his enemies acknowledged. It made no difference to Jesus whether the one to whom he spoke or ministered was wealthy, a wealthy Jewish leader or a common beggar, a virtuous woman or a prostitute, a high priest or a common worshiper, handsome or ugly, educated or ignorant, religious or irreligious, law-abiding citizen or criminal. His overriding concern was the condition of the soul. God's impartiality is reflected even in the genealogies of his son, Jesus Christ. In both Matthew and Luke, Jesus' descendants are shown to include such notable and godly believers as Abraham, David, Solomon, who was very rich, and Hezekiah. But it also included those who were otherwise obscure and common. This included the incestuous Tamar, the former prostitute Rahab, and Ruth from the outcast of the Moabites. Jesus was not born in the great holy city of Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem. Of historical importance to the Jews is the city of David, but not at all comparable to Jerusalem in glory. And of total insignificance to the rest of the world. Jesus then grew up in a Galilean town of Nazareth, whose poor reputation among most Jews is reflected in Nathaniel's comments in John 1.46. When he said this to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus runs an upside-down kingdom. And so should we. We're called to be impartial as Jesus is impartial. I opened up the sermon a few weeks ago and stated, if you're a Christian and you really want to grow in Jesus, it may not be as easy as you think. And it might be difficult. But that's okay. And I hope you feel challenged. Not guilty. Not filled with condemnation, because there's no condemnation in Christ. But challenged to really reach out to people who are more different than you and show them grace and show them favor. You know why Jim is reaching Hispanic kids? Because there's nothing sensical about it. That doesn't make sense. Do you, do you know why a, a Jesse Richardson is a pastor of Sierra Bible Church who came from a broken home and had some hurt and pain and whose dad is in prison and whose teacher said he'll be in prison just like his dad. Do you know why? Because it doesn't make any sense. Upside down kingdom. If you're well put together, it's hard for you to see a need for God. But when you're broken, man, you see the need. We need a little bit more brokenness. We need it. Lord, as we sing our last song, I pray that you would move and stir our hearts in a way that leads us to being, Lord, the Christians that you've designed us to be from day one, which is, first of all, for us to recognize that none of us are saved by our good works or our merit. We are saved simply because you are a loving God. Actually, Lord, in, in Scripture, you share with us that you chose us not because we were great, not because the Jews were great, but because they were the least of people. Lord, you desire to build your kingdom 
not through strength and power, but through humility and meekness. I ask for more of that meekness in my own heart, knowing I am desperate for it. I ask for it for our church as a whole, because your glory and salvation is dependent upon it. Help us to become poor in spirit so we don't don't judge or favor those who come into the church, but we see them as people just like us, made in the image of God in need of salvation. We trust you for these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. There we go. I guess you're already standing, though, so it's okay. Thank you.